Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. The way to stay at the top of the Ferris wheel, reinvent, remodel, and remerchandise. If you're same old, same old, you're not going to have the conversion and the attraction and awareness of the consumer. The only constant in life is change. And that's 100% true in the consumer space, so you have to stay on your toes. What makes me excited about equity research is applying new tools all the time to be essential. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. You can't underestimate the power of high-quality consumer research from a renowned team, especially when they're led by a legendary analyst with high energy and big ambitions. Case in point is my guest today, longtime friend of ICR, Dana Telsey. Dana is the CEO and Chief Research Officer of Telsey Advisory Group, which was founded in 2006. The firm has grown to be a leading equity research, trade execution, investment banking, and consulting firm focused on the consumer space. And during her 35-year career, Dana has followed over 100 companies. From 1994 to 2006, she was a senior managing director at Bear Stearns covering the retail sector. Prior to that, she was a retail analyst at C.J. Lawrence and was a VP of the Barron Asset Fund at Barron Capital. In 2015, she also formed Telsey Consumer Fund Management, an asset management firm, investing in consumer-oriented companies. Dana's received countless awards and accolades in her career. This year, Dana was named for the third time as one of Barron's 100 Most Influential Women in U.S. Finance, and she was named for the second time as one of Rethink Retail's Top 100 Retail Influencers. And maybe most impressive is that she was a member of the Institutional Investor Magazine's All-America Research Team for 13 years from 1992 to 2005. Dana is a regular on CNN and CNBC, and she's a fountain of energy and knowledge. On today's episode, we had a great conversation about her career, the story of retail, and what's to come. Let's enter the arena with Dana Telsey. I grew up on Long Island and then moved into the city. I've lived in Manhattan my whole life, basically. I went to Hobart William Smith undergrad, and then I got my MBA at night from Fordham. And I was really fortunate growing up in Manhattan, meet everyone in apartment buildings. So my sister and Ron Barron walked their dog together, and Ron formed his firm. And he said, what are you doing this summer when I was in college? And I said, I don't know. He goes, I'm going to start my own company. Do you want to work for me? So there you go. I worked summers in college and then afterwards for seven years for Ron Barron at Barron Capital and the Barron Asset Fund. I am fortunate to have had a really great mentor, and he's still a mentor. So fortunate to work with Ron and learn from Ron. 
I was primarily responsible for the consumer sector there. I also covered a bunch of other things back in the day there. I actually learned the agricultural sector. And for someone from Manhattan, you wouldn't think that. <laughs> but <laughs> I moved over to the brokerage area in Sellside, covering the consumer sector at C.J. Lawrence, and I've been doing this for a really long time. I founded my own firm, Telsey Advisory Group. It'll be 17 years ago in January. And then the Telsey Consumer Fund nearly seven years ago. And so what I like to do is I love being all consumer all, all the time. And that's why the partnership with ICR is so great, because you're all consumer all the time, too. And so it's been amazing. Yeah, it's true. You know, we're, we're kind of all in the ecosystem around the same companies. I didn't know that Ron Barron story. That is like really cool how your life changes on, you know, some crazy little thing. But you got an opportunity and you made the most of it, right? Yeah, you have to learn from someone. And I had the best mentor around who understand stocks, understands companies, and are investing to look at things, what's scalable and what's not replicable. And when you think of what those items, two items are, you could look at any company and really pull them apart that way. So that's why I think for our company at TAG, I mean, we're known for being one of the top sources for consumer research across the street. And then with our advisory practice, whether it's advisory like despacking or capital markets. So like you said, Tom, it's about the consumer sector, which everyone has a tangential reach to and for what we do. When did you make the decision to start TAG? So I left C.J. Lawrence to go to Bear Stearns in 1994. When the world of big brokerage firms was changing back in 2001, 2002, thinking about next. And I loved what I do. And I think of what we do is telling stories, telling stories both qualitatively and quantitatively. So it's actually, in, I'll never forget the day, it was in 2004 that we said, wait a second, I got to think about what's next. And then do you want to go to the buy side? Do you want to go to hedge fund? Do you want to go to private equity? And we decided that the brand, we have a brand, the brand can say what it does and do what it says. So we planned it out from 2004, literally to the day in January 2006, that we were going to start Telsey Advisory Group. And if it wasn't for the people, because I do believe that teamwork makes the dream work, the people in the, in the firm and some of the people who started the firm with me, like Joe Feldman, like Tom Chin, that it's all of us together that win together. And we've been able to train a cadre of other members of the team that we're looking to be essential to our clients and provide the best quality of consumer research out there. Totally. Has it been harder or easier than you thought? I think anything you do when you don't have the umbrella of a big bank, it's something that's definitely harder. But is it rewarding? Is it exciting every day? Is it fulfilling that certainly new clients that you build, existing clients that you have. And then you think about our progress, whether it was research, banking and consulting, and asset management, that we're able to take the platform and expand it. It's super exciting. But what I say is that this is only the first 17 years. Remember, my grandmother and my whole family was in retailing. We had a bookstore on Madison Avenue where my grandfather was cash register number one, my mom was number two, and I was number three. Then my grandmother worked at Bergdorf's. I mean, it's always been about retailing. And they worked until they were in their eight, late 80s, early 90s. I've got a long way to go. So I think now we're only set up for what the excitement's going to be going forward. 
And every day I walk in and I say, how are we going to win? And how are we going to win today? You know what it is, Tom? It's speaking with you and sharing our story. So thank you. Well, of course. And you know what? If it was easy, everybody would do it. I had somebody say to me one time, you know, progress and success are like rust on a pipe. You don't always notice it while it's happening. But think about it. You look back to 2006, look at what you guys have created. Tell me about the industries and segments within consumer that you guys cover. Basically, we cover over 100 companies, and we cover both hard lines, soft lines, and a broad brush across it is new economy. And so given the different way that consumers are converting and doing their shopping this year, or just in the past few years, we need to be where the consumers are. So yes, we do things like the department stores and off-pricers and apparel, and we do grocery stores and consumer electronics and home, but we're also doing new business models, whether it's a subscription, whether it's consumer tech, whether it's DTC, anywhere the consumer's going to intersect with conversion is where we want to be. And we learn the metrics and the new vocabulary of how you can instill, frankly, demand, reinvigoration, and reinventing the pipeline. So when I think about what are the interesting things and segments and sectors over the next few years, I think there are big areas, whether it's electrification, whether it's hybrid, whether it's personalization, experiences, the old, old used word omni-channel, seamless. And you know what else? What every brand needs is what do they stand for? So I think the mission statement is something that we're all going to take more recognition of in the future than what we did in the past. Do you personally get more excited about longtime established brands or brands that are kind of disruptors and the jury's still out? What do you get fired up about? I love what's new, but I also think one of the things with long-term established brands, they're all doing something new. Whether they're buying or whether they're building, they need to reinvent themselves. Because the way to stay at the top of the Ferris wheel, reinvent, remodel, and remerchandise. If you're same old, same old, you're not going to have the conversion and the attraction and awareness of the consumer. I love the new things that are out there. It's exciting what they're doing. Look at marketing and advertising, what's happening with social media. Who would have thought that what can go viral virtually so fast and build the awareness, none of it's being done like in Vogue magazine advertising anymore. It's all being done through social media. And what TikTok is today, guess what? In three years, there's going to be something beyond just TikTok. Yep. It's so fascinating, the change that's taken place. And it's kind of a good segue. How has equity research changed in your mind over the last 20 years? Oh, it's changed tremendously. And I think if you're going to be essential to the buy side, whether it's to new people who are first coming in to learn, whether it's existing portfolio managers and analysts who've known what they're doing for a long time, how do you be essential to them? And I think the way you be essential to people is being able to tell them things they don't know. And how do you tell them things they don't know? We can all do numbers and models, but the insights of what you can show what the cross-pollinization are of established companies and new companies. Frankly, the people side of it is also so important. I think of concept, execution, and management as the drivers. And today, what builds a successful concept, it's all about innovation. What builds execution is seamless. And what builds the strength of management is data. So what makes me excited about equity research is applying new tools all the time to be essential. How we were doing it 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and even 30 years ago, it's different today. While we may be texting, or as long as it's within compliance, while we may be 
Zooming, there's still nothing replacing in person. And frankly, that's why I'm excited about your conference coming up on January 9th, 10th, and 11th. So I think what's changed about equity research, it's beyond the numbers. It's about the concept. What can be scalable in a profitable manner? When you look out the next few years, do you think there's going to continue to be a gap with um, maybe small to mid-sized firms just not getting a lot of attention from the sell side in, in terms of their research efforts? I think everyone has to frame a way to differentiate themselves. What do you stand for? Because you're a brand, and a brand has to say what it does and do what it says. So I think if you can't differentiate yourself and you're only rewriting the conference call transcript, you're not going to be value-added. How do you help a portfolio manager or an analyst on the buy side be value-added to their process, whether it's from the access that you have, whether it's the insights you can pull together, whether it's from the macro dynamics out there that's happening, both whether it's on the outside or on the inside, that can help frame what's going to drive a business model and what's going to drive increased rates of return. I think you can't just depend on what you used to do in the past. And I like reinvention. I mean, and you learn about it every day from talking to people, from scraping websites, and really from talking to your customers. They share the insights, and it's frankly your discussions with management teams that help lead the way. And the more conversations you have, the more differentiated you can be. Kelsey Advisory Group is one of the few women-owned brokerage firms on Wall Street. Dana told me about that journey and how it's influenced her approach. I mean, the competitiveness of the industry overall, irrespective of being a woman-owned firm, is harder than it's ever been. And so how do we differentiate? First of all, being a woman-owned firm, yes, it's the interviews. It's being able to show that you say what you do and you do what you say. We have a great focus on giving back. And personally, I love mentoring. I've had a lot of interns go through my research teams over the years. There's nothing that makes me prouder seeing people I've worked with succeed, both internally at TAG and externally. I think the women-owned firm, while we always position ourselves with the value that we bring, we are also a big proponent of what it means to be that MWB firm and be able to be value-added that way. It's something that isn't just to check the box, but it's a meaningful component of who we are and what we do. We never knew it would grow like it is today, but it's becoming that much more important in order to build a diversified platform and, frankly, diversified business models. So I'm proud to be one of the leaders in terms of starting the whole women-owned business world in equity research. And rightfully so. And I think as you mature in your career, like you and I have, one of the greatest things is to see people succeed and do well. And it's uh, super gratifying and and fun. And uh, that's one of the reasons we keep doing what we're doing, right? Uh, every day you open the door and there's something new. I mean, look at all the things we're excited about. We're meeting new people every day. We're hearing about new business models every day. We're looking at a stock market that's been more volatile every day and frankly teaches us less lessons each day. And I think that's what makes us look forward to the next 20, 30, and 40, 50 years in order to drive change and drive success. I love it. I, no one on Wall Street thinks 50 years out, but you do, so I love I do. That. I want to do it better. I want to do it better, I want to do more, and I want to do it faster. I'm feeding off your energy. I love this interview so far. In regards to the current environment, do you recall a time where there's been more craziness and uncertainty for the companies that you cover? 
Um, no. I mean, there's never been so much uncertainty as you have now, both because so far for the past three years, it's like all of a sudden dramatic change. 2020, everything shut down. 2021, inventory disruption. 2022, I've got too much inventory and stimulus has ended. So whether you're a lower income or middle income consumer who doesn't have the sustainability of the resources that you had, where the higher income consumer where real estate values and stock market fluctuations mean something, every single class and classification is being impacted by the macro environment. So I haven't had a time where we haven't had any segment being so-called safe, but what it does mean is, so how are you positioning for the future? And balance sheets never matter more than they do today. Big time. And I think people have been working so hard for the last three years, right? Think about 2020 and it's scary and like people are back on their heels. As you sit here today, what areas of consumer spending seem to be holding up the best? I mean, certainly we've seen luxury hold up well because that higher income consumer. But I'd say even in luxury, you've seen moderating growth rates. It is not um, not moderated. It has moderated when you're going up against the big increases of last year. When I think about experiences and the focus on what you can deliver for experiences going forward this year. I think people want more experiences. I think they want socialization because people are social human beings. So that's why I think back to the physical store is meaning something these days. And we're seeing the traffic improve while even online sales growth is moderating. But I think these elements of change that we talked about before, how data is being used, what's changing with electrification. I mean, when everyone moved, given the pandemic came, all of a sudden, what became most important? Connectivity. Can you be connected to Wi-Fi? And even today with hybrid, that still is around because I don't know about you, but I look at these MTA ridership statistics. Tuesday through Thursdays, we're at 70% of 2019 levels, when Mondays and Fridays, you're in the 60% level. So connectivity and hybrid is what we're about today, at least for the near-term future, and I think that is the next five years or so. Are we going to get back to in-person? You bet, because like we're going to do with the conference in a couple weeks, even in our company, we bring people in from all over the country at least once a quarter, because you know what? experiences create memories and we need to get that memory bank back. What are you seeing companies do in terms of their investment in technology and what are they trying to accomplish in your mind? A couple things. I think loyalty programs are being enhanced. I think diversified sourcing strategies are being put in place. I think changes in supply chain with where goods are delivered, how they're drop shipped is a distinct change. And I think management teams at the C-level are using data differently. How is the data being scrubbed? How is it being put together in order to give them a focused direction of where their growth should come from, whether it's by new categories, whether it's by new social experiences, whether it's who's going to be the right collaborations. I think every company is using different skill sets in order to figure out the progress and path towards the future. Not only, you know, internally is it table stakes on how you operate the business and become more efficient, but the the customer expects advanced technology, right? And if you can't do that, like you're not going to make it. No, seamless. I'll give you an example. We were at a retailer on Saturday and basically like 30 blocks from where we live and said, oh, could you deliver it? It's now expected that it's delivered. 
And years ago, you wouldn't have expected that, and now you do expect that. Seamless and convenience matter. And I'd also say marketing is so different. Look what social media has done. You look at the collaborations and what happens, the customer is at the center of the engagement where they're your celebrity in getting the awareness out, creating new trends. Switching gears a little bit, what's your take on the IPO market? What do you think is going to happen over the next six to nine months in terms of companies going public and companies that need, need to raise money? And that's not going to change. Last year was a significant year, probably the most number of IPOs and private companies and SPACs going public that we've seen in quite some time. And frankly, as the market was beginning to shut, there was still a number of companies that were prepared and ready to go public, but then valuations changed. I think that stability is needed. What is the direction of interest rates? Where is inflation going? If you can show a more stable macro and you could figure out what is the valuation, because what is the number of dollars that need to be raised at what valuation? What does normalization look like? I think there's a pipeline of private companies that would be excited to be in the public markets, but obviously have performance that could also be commensurate with being a growing company. Unlike what we've had with some of these newer companies that have gone public, where certainly the valuations have crumbled this year, and that path to profitability is so important. You talk to so many professional and institutional investors. What are the characteristics they're looking for in terms of companies and what they want to buy? Are we back to basics with like cash flow, balance sheet, like all the hardcore stuff that we grew up with? It's funny you mentioned that, Tom. I just had three different calls with three different PMs at significant, frankly, long-only buy-side firms and even the hedge funds I talked to. What's the cash flow growth? What does it look like? How much cash are they throwing out? And what are they doing with allocating their capital? And you didn't hear that before, but you're hearing it now. And it's more important than ever. I look at a lot of earnings transcripts and so do you. If I was a company, I'd have like a section quarter in, quarter out on capital allocation. And I don't feel like every company does that, you know? Right. I agree. They don't and they should. It's funny. When I talk to some investors, they don't realize how much cash flow a company does throw off. And then in other respects, sometimes, wait, this company doesn't generate cash flow, but they have such a great idea. So where can you find the happy medium? That's what I think people are looking for. Another kind of interesting thing that is, I would say, nearing its bottom, but is still fascinating and interesting is the metaverse. What's your take on the whole thing and like how it's going to pan out? I mean, your guess is as good as anybody's, but I think it's so, I think it's such a great question for you, given, you know, the world that you live in with all those consumer companies. Tom, you're setting me up perfectly there because, you know, we, we just came out with a huge piece on the metaverse just around two weeks ago. And basically, exactly for the same reason that what, when you talk about capital allocation and where, where people are allocating capital, I'm seeing big brands like the Ralph Lauren's of the world allocate more capital lately and allocating it to new channels. So while it's still in its infancy, and I think that it's only at the beginnings of being certainly reputable in, in becoming an established channel for growth. I think what is essential is that the speed at which new business models develop, you can't not not be in the metaverse right now because of what it exactly could mean. And when I think what it's doing, it's bringing energy, it's bringing creativity, and really into a, a new era of connections between different platforms. And I think it's a business opportunity for the future that can't be ignored and should be part of the discussion of conversion and capital allocation. 
Talking about the holiday season, you know, we're sitting here in kind of early November of 2022. What are you looking for in the next month? And what are the biggest things that you're thinking about leading up to the holiday season for the companies that you're involved with? Holiday season starts earlier every single year. And I think the fact that we had the second prime day in October this year, it only got it kicked off even earlier. Last year, you didn't have enough inventory. This year, you have too much inventory and the promotions are starting. I've already seen Black Friday advertising, website messages. It's not Black Friday alone. It's Black Friday week or Black Friday month that you have, partially because of all the goods that people have out there. I think there's a bifurcation. That low-end consumer is being impacted by the increased inflation that's impacting essentials, whether it's food, whether it's energy, housing costs, you name it, they're impacted. And the moderation that you have, even at the luxury end, is something to be watched. So what am I seeing out there and who can win? Do you have differentiated innovative product? And I think makeup is still in the recovery phase. I think you still have a benefit there because people are first going to go to parties that they didn't go to last year. I think if I had to pick a department store, I think Macy's is doing new things out there. So they're creating differentiation. The other change is that holidays on a Sunday this year. And typically what we've seen when Christmas falls on a Sunday it could be up to a 50 basis points differential of an increase in overall holiday season sales. But when you're going up against the numbers you're going up against last year, you can't compare it to last year's holiday season given the full price selling. So I think it's more promotional, it's early. I think you're still gonna have categories that do well. I think certainly in some of the soft lines areas, I mean, I think you'll see like the Lululemons continue to perform. I think the LVMHs on high end Given their innovative product, I think they're going to perform. I think if I had to pick an off-pricer, I think TJX, given the income level of their core consumer. But it's going to be a tough holiday season. This is not a holiday season that is going to be all faint for, okay, increases are coming. It's what can you manage in terms of your promotion to sell at, hopefully, the first discount, because the more discounts you take, the greater the impact to margins. Does this kind of set us up for kind of an interesting year? And obviously we don't know what's going to happen, but what's your take on that? Yes, I think 23 is going to be interesting, but I also am hearing that inventory levels, even with ocean freight rates coming down as much as they are, we still have a lot of companies that are still going to have to move through a lot of product, at least through the first quarter of 2023, some even into the second quarter. So it sets us up for that back half of the year potentially being better. But also, I think, hopefully, I'm tired of comparing against 2019. It's going to be four years old that we're comparing against 2019. So will the real comparison please stand up so we can have some stability and a return to normalization? Where are you investing within TAG? What new products or services are you offering your clients? What's happening with the group? So it's, it's interesting some of the new things that we're investing and adding in. So we're adding personnel in some fee-based businesses like debt capital markets, share purchases, equity stock trading, where we work with companies that are outside of our core consumer research, and that could be underwriting debt or the share purchase programs, even from tech companies, where we've grown the orders from our institutional clients, where around half of the orders now are non-consumer. Let's talk about our consulting practice, because we've consulted on the consumer sector for the nearly 17 years we've been around. 
And we've been expanded outside of just consumer companies to those with a tangential reach, like retail real estate companies, like media companies, and like raw materials companies. So we've widened the breadth. And then the other thing we began doing around four years ago, there is a real need for quality companies who aren't getting enough attention from the street, particularly small, very small cap companies that need the high quality research that my firm is known for. So we put in place a corporate sponsored research program four years ago, and essentially we've developed a product and very proud to say that it's growing fast. Companies need the awareness that we help them build in gaining the reach of the institutional investor community. So if you have a good story to tell, we're very good at understanding and communicating that story to investors, but you can't communicate a story where there is no story. So it's got to be the right story with the right management team who are primed for the path to growth. For 17 years amid constant change, Telsey Advisory Group has been providing insights and solving challenges for their clients. When you plan 50 years into the future like Dana does, you can bet on some staying power. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, Subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Dana for being on the show today. She's an industry powerhouse whose work in the consumer sector is really essential, super interesting, and always timely. It was amazing to get her observations, especially as we head into the all-important holiday season. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. Telsey Advisory Group does not have any holdings in any securities covered by TAG. No TAG research analyst has any holdings in any securities covered by the analyst. TAG research analysts do not receive compensation from subject companies. TAG provides investment banking and other non-investment banking securities-related services and non-securities services and may seek such relationships from companies about whom it provides research. TAG, its employees, and their households have no other conflicts or potential conflicts of interest. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only, and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.